Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply this is a crowd podcast. He's taken a putter out of bunkers. Like, come on, you play off eight. Oh, I love it. Have the ticks gone blue yet? I could have got that award, I'm telling you, a few years ago. Really? You've got to give it a little push and then a little pull. I think Luke's misunderstood what a humble brag is um, because that's just a brag. <laughs> I think there has to be some rule. They've got to send marshals out to stop this. <laughs> I'm Andrew Beef Johnston. And I'm John Robbins. Welcome to Beef's Golf Club. John, how are you, mate? Oh, don't you worry about how I am. The pressing question, Beef, is how have you fared trying to get hold of Mark Wahlberg? Well, I had his number and I sent him a WhatsApp and it came up with one tick. And I probably waited <sighs> about 20 minutes and I panicked. I said, he must have changed his number. So I sent him a message on Instagram and then I looked back at WhatsApp an hour later and it had two ticks and I've probably come off a little bit keen to be ah. Oh dear. Yeah, it's not... A little bit keen on the old Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah, it's not the calmest start. Have the ticks gone blue yet? No. Oh mate, ghosted by Wahlberg. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> An A-list ghosting. Where'd you go from there? This is the problem I've had the last couple of days as I'm thinking, what do you do next? You can't send another WhatsApp. I think you have to change your phone number now. <laughs> I think you have to change your phone number and probably keep a low profile for the next couple of years. Certainly stay away from any sort of celeb golf events. <laughs> do you think you change the phone number and say, I'm sorry it got hacked or this is my new number and see if he replies. I think what we do is we have a little stake on how long those ticks stay grey from Wahlberg. <laughs> I reckon it's going to be a minimum of a month before they go blue. And that's when, that's when things really get stressful. 
It's not a good start. It's not a good start. Well, we'll find out when those ticks go blue ASAP. Um, but it's very exciting here at Beefs Golf Club because we have asked uh, asked you guys, asked our members for your Beefs Golf Club commandments. Now, these are going up on the board in the clubhouse and we're going to discuss them, see what gets added. We'll start off. I'll talk you through some of these beef and we'll decide if any of them make the wall. So, so far, all we've got is dress policy is have a little look in the mirror, mate. And we reserve the right to bring a mirror. I had some quite a lot of people talking about like how long you're allowed to talk about your round afterwards. Stuart Drysdale says, no one is allowed to give you a hole by hole answer when you ask, how do you go today? Danny Collins said, shot clock system for talking about your round and the clock is six seconds. More than enough time to say it went well, badly or mixed. Extended to eight seconds if you had a hole in one. (laughs) (laughs) Which I like. (laughs) But I mean, what do you feel about this? Because I spend so much of my life talking about golf to people who don't play and have zero interest in it. So like for me, the golf club is the one place where people actually don't mind hearing about, you know, the shots I messed up or the good shots I hit or my score. What's it like in the clubhouse after a sort of a proper pro event? Is everyone going, oh, I had this, I had this chip on the fifth and it just it just pulled up just and all that sort of stuff? Or or is it like, are you talking about completely different stuff? When you finished around, say, early morning and you're coming to lunch and there might be a, a table of guys sitting down talking. And as you walk past, you're like, do you sit on the end of this table? But if they're talking about the pin position on seven or the rough or that bunker on 13 you just walk straight past and sit on the table I can't handle it and especially that hole by hole commentary they're right I agree I think it should be a rule because you can't you can't say oh the worst one the worst one I get is you don't even ask how someone's golf is yeah so you turn up at golf club and you say you know oh hi how are you and he was like oh my chipping's terrible and I'm like I asked how you was (laughs) Firstly, so <laughs> so yeah, I think definitely definitely has to be some kind of rule because yeah, I don't want to hear your life story about eighteen holes and eighty four shots. Yeah, but th- the problem is, I do, I do want to hear about your because I think you can't you can't walk into a golf club and the first rule is no talk about golf because it's like, well, where am I going to go to talk about golf then? I mean, I get like someone giving you a deep dive into their round. But I like all the anecdotes afterwards about the tr- trouble holes and the conditions of the course. And, you know, I was playing really well and then it blew up on the back nine. I love all that. Yeah, I think there's like specific moments you can talk about and say, oh, I, I started really well and I was eight shots under my handicap with four holes left. And I've ended up five shots over my handicap and I made an 11 down a hole and you can I think you can tell that but it's when you ask someone and they go well I teed off at 7.15 I thought about hitting driver but I chose three wood instead knocked it on the fairway good choice then I was a bit in between clubs between seven iron and an eight iron and I didn't know what to do and I went with the eight and I duffed it and I come up short but I still got up and down made par that's the chat that can't happen mate I'm all ears I am loving this this is what this is what I live for. Okay, so you duffed the eight. Then what happened? Are you just sort of half a pitching wedge? And then what? Did you get on the green? Did you stiff it? Did you putt from the fringe? Ah, oh, this is. I feel so alive. <laughs> I think there has to be some rule. 
you know, like the Brazilian restaurants that come round and they have the red cards and the green cards if you want more meat or food. How about something like that? You come in the clubhouse and there's tables with a green thing and a red thing where red means I don't want to hear about your round and a green one means you can sit down and chat about your round all day long. But it's sort of quite, it's sort of a little bit uh, segregatory for me. I would prefer a system whereby you have a, a yellow card and a red card. So someone starts talking about their round. They're talking about, you know, a birdie they made. Okay, great. I want to hear about that. They talk about a funny, like, mistake they made. So they hit the ball into the car park. I want to hear about that. Then they start to talk about they've changed their tea height recently. And you sort of reach for the yellow card. (laughs) And then they say, well, the thing is, it's because my launch angle's too high. But I found that if I lower the tea, it's launching a bit lower. But I'm just, I'm getting too much spin. and And it's sort of increasing my slice. So then you hand up the yellow card. And then if they're like, oh, man, and the, the group in front of us was so slow. So when it started to get into my head, so I got to the 17th and, um, you know, we were waiting two minutes on the second shot and I just I just duffed it and and then I thinned it through the green and I three put and then the red card comes up and you go, <laughs> OK, I've, I've got a picture of your round. I've got a flavor of where your game's at, but I'm going to have to stop you there. Yeah, there's the balance. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Definitely, and you can just fire. You, can you fire up a straight red, or do you have to go through the yellow card? Or if it is really straight into launch angles, you can just fire straight red. Well, I think what would be funny is if someone gets a reputation for this sort of behaviour, and they walk into the they walk into the bar afterwards, and everyone's sat there, sort of taking the money for the roll up, and they open their mouth, and everyone immediately red cards them. <laughs> That's the rule. This is going to be controversial. Sophie Reed says no mobile phones on the course. Beef thoughts? No, I think I don't think you should have phones on the golf course. Golf should be an activity you get away from what you're doing. Yeah, you need to check on your phone just in case of an emergency. But I generally want to spend time with my friends and people and actually chat to people because we're on our phones so much. Phones in the clubhouse is big. You can't take a phone call in the clubhouse. That drives me nuts. Really? You're sitting down, you're having a nice chat, and then someone's, hello, yeah, yeah, da, 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 like that, on the phone. No, just take it outside. I don't want to hear your conversation. I've already heard you around. I don't need to hear it again on the phone. So I use Arcos for my uh, like scores and tracking my shots. So I have my phone in my hand almost constantly on the golf course, but only for that. I'm not like texting or anything. Yeah, that's different. So I need that for like my distances and stuff. That's different. I think it's I think it's taking phone calls and being on your phone while you're supposed to be playing and actually talking to people. But like keeping your scores and distance is absolutely fine. How about mobile phones on the course just for emergencies and golf related business? And no, no phone calls in the clubhouse. I don't know. I don't know. I'll, I'll allow it, but I'm, I just think life, people make phone calls. You've got to deal with it. I wouldn't have a phone call indoors anywhere. Really? Is that why you're so hard to get, to get hold of when we're booking this podcast? <laughs> yeah, well, you see, similar to Mark Wahlberg, obviously. He must have been playing golf here yeah, the last three days. Yeah. He's obviously been indoors in a clubhouse for the last three days, yeah. <laughs> just... I like going outside with a phone call and letting everyone else carry on their conversation rather than having someone speak over. That's where I see it from. 
Well, okay, so there's some good suggestions there. Keep them coming in, and you can email beef at crowdnetwork.co.uk. But now we head on to the discussion of this week's hot topic. And Andrew, as a man currently residing in Portugal, you're used to having the sand between your toes. But what about having the sand between your grooves? Because we're talking about bunkers. (laughs) Yes, yes, let's chat about bunkers. Where do you see bunkers on the sort of spectrum of your game? Are they something you mastered quite early? Are they something you still struggle with? Do you feel confident? I think that one of the big differences between amateurs and pros is you'll hear a pro going, get in the bunker, when they've like <laughs> mishit a shot. Whereas an amateur, you're like, just, just whatever you do, don't go in the bunker. <laughs> yeah, I, I've had sort of a mixed relationship with bunkers where growing up always felt I was comfortable. And then I had a slight technique problem a few years ago. And no word of a lie, I was getting more and more nervous going into a bunker. I'd thinned a few out and it sort of just crept and it got in my head. And Mm. my technique wasn't good enough at that point. And it was, to be honest, I get why people hate going in bunkers because I, I struggled for a Good few months. I well, I think the biggest difference between elite level golfers and amateurs is assessing the lie of the ball. And in bunkers, that's like times 10. Because you've got different types of sand. You've got how close you are to the lip. And I think amateurs have like a, just a go-to bunker shot that they just hope for the best. And I think in fairness, I do have a lot of sympathy with people because you get all types of different sand. And you have to play them when they're wet. You have to play them when they're sort of dry, when they're sort of rock solid. You have to play them when there's not enough sand in the bunker. That's a real problem at a lot of clubs because there's an international sand shortage, fun fact. Hitting the mat is just horrible because you're not allowed to test the depth of the sand. Oh, it's a nightmare. And the screaming and the club throwing at my club because people like bottom out on the mat and chunk it or thin it way through. So I think they are really difficult. But what are you like? What are your swing thoughts when you're when you're in a bunker? Again, you've hit the nail on the head. It's assessing what the bunkers are. Luckily for us, you'd get to a tournament on a Sunday or a Monday, so you've already had three days knowing what the sand's going to be doing. You'd be practicing out the bunkers, but you've got the links type where it's really fine and heavy. And this is again, you're going to love this. This is where different wedges come into play. So we a lot of the mm. pros we swap our wedges out. They change. So Lynx Golf, you can have one with more bounce on it. Yes. That's how technical it is. And that's that's why it's so difficult. I really struggled off um like really compact and hard sand. So like if you came to my club when it was raining, it's sort of quite thick grained sand. It's not like that sort of chalky stuff. And it's sort of compacted down and the balls almost sat on it. Is that something you'd struggle with? Is there quite a lot of sand in there and it's just pushed down? Not a lot of sand. So you're talking about at times maybe a centimetre of sand under the ball, but you don't know until you hit the shot. <laughs> yeah. See, this is this is the problem. And I would say anyone listening, I'll say my two tips would be, if, if there's a lot of sand in there, don't be afraid to open your sand iron up. And I know when I see people playing all the time and they play it with a pretty square face like they're going to hit a normal chip shot. You need to open it up and you need to hit the sand and hit it hard. But 
the flip side where you see people thinning them is because when there's no sand, you need to do the reverse and yeah. play it with a square face so the edge breaks that hard sand. And I'd say they're my two main tips. If you go in and you feel there's not much sand, play it with a square face. If there's lots of sand, open it up and hit the sand hard. And I'd, I'd keep it that simple. I really used to struggle. And when, when I was obsessed with breaking 90 and 100, I came up with this very uh, involved system for how I would work out why it was happening. I basically wrote down every shot I'd completely lost. Not like, you know, miss, hit or sort of topped, but every one that was just complete car crash. And I had one round where I lost six shots in additional bunker shots. So that's six bunkers where I took two shots to get out. So I had a lesson and my stance was all wrong. I was just standing like you would address a regular golf shot. And then the guy goes, well, what, you, you know, ball forward in your stance, lean on your front foot. And I'm thinking, really? And then you swing and suddenly the ball pops out of the bunker. And you're like, that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think definitely keep it nice and simple. And there is certain techniques to get out of bunkers. If you're having issues, ask your local pro. Just go and have a chat, ask him and say, I can't get out of bunker and figure out and go and have a lesson because it drives everyone nuts. And I've seen so many people terrified of going in a bunker. What are the best bunkers in the world? If you had to be in one bunker on one golf course in the world, what would it be? And we'll, we can try and have those sorts of bunkers at Beef's Golf Club. The hardest bunker I've ever seen was at Troon on the postage stamp. I remember, I think it was Rory in a practice round took six to get out of that. Wow. You're talking about hole that's like 110, 120 yards. And you're so nervous on that tee because you know if you if you hit it down the right and it's a thin green, if you hit it down the right and it goes into that bunker and it's too close to the face, you can't get it out. And if it's too near the back, you're going to have to play out sideways. You can't get to it. It was, yeah, one of the hardest bunkers I've ever seen. So we don't want those, we don't want those at Beef's Golf Course, do we? I think one with a view that you can see from the clubhouse might be quite good entertainment. Well, are we, how many courses are we going to have here? Because I thought we could, have, we could have the fillet course at Beef's Golf Club and then the mince course at Beef's Golf Club. So <laughs> one of them's like sort of... <laughs> Slightly more rough and ready, and the other one's the championship course. <laughs> I take it the fillet's going to be the championship course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'd be like, oh, I got to play Beef's Golf Course the other day. No way. What did you play, fillet or mince? <laughs> uh, we could only get on mince because they had a pro-am on the fillet, but it's still, it's still a really good course. <laughs> the mince course. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I, I, I get, like... <laughs> I think it's important to have bunkers that <laughs> that challenge like different levels of golfer. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think you want to be able to hit fun shots as well. So even if you are in a fairway bunker, you've got a decent chance to hit a good shot out where it's not, you're not just getting your wedge out or your lob wedge or whatever and you're just chipping it out sideways out of the bunker. It's got to have a bit of fun where someone might think they can take the green on with a four iron or whatever it is, a rescue club, something like that. It adds a bit of entertainment. So how do you play out of a fairway bunker? Do you just treat it as if you're playing off a mat in the range? Again, it's, it's technique-based. And obviously, you know, being in sand, you need to hit the ball first. So sometimes an iron shot is pretty similar in some respect. 
it's when the ball sits in like a little groove sometimes can be difficult. And that's when, again, technique, you go further back in your stance and play it like that. So you go further back in your stance. So you're guaranteed to hit the golf ball first. Well, let's hear some of our listeners' um, bunker anecdotes. Um, we had this from Ashley Howe. It once took me 12 shots in the same bunker before I gave up. What's the most shots you've ever had in a bunker, Beef? See, I was more prone the other way, like I said, to thinning them out. That was when I really struggled. It wasn't getting out. I would say two, but my problem was killing someone in the crowd. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. The most shots you've ever had in a bunker is two. Yeah, I think so. Two, three, by three max. As I said, mine was the other way where I'd hit the ball first and I'd thin it and I'd be 50 yards over the other side of the green when I had slight technical issues. 12 in a bunker, I think if I saw my friend and he had four, I'd probably just say that's enough, mate. Yeah. I think also what happens is when people get angry, they completely lose their like pre-shot routine. They're playing with a club that's covered in sand. They don't step out. They don't clean the club. They don't reassess it. They just get there. And it, it, it's so funny to watch how quickly you lose control of yourself in a bunker. Just think, well, I just keep hitting it harder and harder and harder and harder. Um, this is from Sam Harrop. I'm so bad. I try to putt out of bunkers whenever possible. I've seen that done with very, very good results. As long as there's no lip and the sand is quite... So if it's wet... Putting out of a bunker can can really work. Have you ever putted out of a bunker? I've never putted out of a bunker, and I'm going to suggest there might be another rule. Or our bunkers on our on our golf course, maybe the fillet course, we've got to design bunkers that you can't putt out of. Maybe a few on the mince course. Yeah, a few on the mince course with no lip, lips, but on the fillet course, maybe, yeah, because you couldn't putt, putt out of those pot bunkers at the, you know, St Andrews or whatever. But I really love it when, especially those older players who just got these tricks and you see them in a bunker and they've got the putter and you think, what are you doing? And then it's just like straight out and you think, God, that's so simple. It's simple, but it's aggravating as well. Why is it aggravating? I love it. It's inventive. He's taking a putter out of bunker. I was like, come on, you play off eight. Oh, I love it. Yeah, but then maybe that's why they play off eight. Because they don't yeah, get maybe. stuck in bunkers. Maybe, yeah. I guess so. Fair enough. Uh, this is from Mark Fisher. I once hit the rake at Hounslow Heath and it went at a 90 degree, ang- 90 degree angle into the hole. Folks, can we make sure we're keeping our rakes in the bunkers? <laughs> Gotta be a rule. I hate it when there's a rake like lying next to a bunker on the grass because that's through no fault of your own. You might be in a worse position because it should be in the hazard. Is that right? Is that the right rule, do you reckon? Yeah, it's got to be out of the way somewhere. Whether it's round the side of a bunker, the ball's not necessarily going to go. But when they put the rake in front of the bunker, where balls are going to roll in, mm. silly place to put it, isn't it? How often is a pro raking their own bunker? I would hope that they would rake the bunkers when they practice. Right. If obviously you're not at a tournament, sometimes even at a tournament, I'll just rake it. Or if I'm practicing, like chuck us the rake and rake a bit so that I can hit more, if that makes sense. It's a very touchy subject again. Don't rake it with your club or your foot. Oh, God, no. I think the two biggest crimes on the course, in terms of condition of the course, is not repairing pitch marks on the green and not raking bunkers. Also, it's people don't rake well. They rake it badly. They sort of 
scratch it around a couple of times and then sort of walk out and and they're still leaving impressions. I think a, a beautiful bunker raking action is quite something to behold. Definitely. I've seen it loads of times where people walk into a bunker and then just plonk it in the sand and then just walk out and follow it a bit like you're ploughing a field. You've got, you've got to give it a little push and then a little pull. It's the push and pull method until you get out of the bunker and then leave, leave it how it should be left. Don't just walk in there and just drag a rake and walk out. So maybe a commandment at Beef's Golf Club is take pride in your raking. What's your raking handicap? Yeah, I, I think so. I think there has to be some kind of handicap or point system where if there's a badly raked bunker, maybe one or two warnings. If you do it a third time, you have to go on a greenkeeper's bunker raking course or something like that. Well, I'm actually quite a big fan of picking one bunker and one green at random each day for there to be CCTV and it gets reviewed and it gets played back in the clubhouse as your punishment. If you've walked out of that bunker without raking it, or if you've, you know, walked past an enormous pitch mark, it doesn't matter if it's yours or not, you've got time to repair it. Um, but especially if it's yours, then that gets replayed back in the clubhouse alongside the highlights of your friends who raked beautifully, who repaired three pitch marks while they were waiting to putt. CCTV bunker. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's got to go in. You've got to keep an eye. Definitely. The BBC, the Bunker Broadcast Channel. <laughs> Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Right, folks, we're now going to discuss three of your favourite bunker shots ever. Now, these are three shots from recent years that you can easily find on YouTube. They are um, Matt Fitzpatrick in the US Open um, on the final hole. It's Rory at the 18th in the 2022 Masters. And one that I think a lot of people will remember is Tiger Woods' fairway bunker shot in the second round of the 2019 World Golf Championships. Um, Beef, let's start with Rory's one. On the 18th, he's about 40 yards from the pin and he's in a big old bunker and he hits it out onto sort of the top of a bank and it rolls back probably 20 foot left and just goes into the hole. It's an amazing thing to watch and his reaction is just incredible. He goes nuts. But I guess my question in terms of how good that shot is, is he expecting for it to go in? 
No, I doubt it. Guessing with Rory, I think he's thinking, I probably need this to go in to have a chance to, to win. But obviously when you see it and he plays yeah. it miles away from the hole, just flops it out the bunker and lets it, yeah, lets it, let the slope take it all the way into the hole. To do it on the 72nd hole with a potential mind thought that I probably need this if I'm going to have a chance of winning it and to knock it in is insane. You see people on that 18th hole struggling to two-putt that from like 25 foot, 30 foot, let alone knock a bunker shot in like that. It's insane. Yeah, it's beautiful to watch. His reaction is fantastic. Um, the next one is Matt Fitzpatrick. This is something quite special because he's he's again on the 18th and on the 18th of a tournament he went on to win and he's on a slight upslope in a fairway bunker. What makes this one so special? The pressure of it. To be going down needing a par down the last hole to basically win your first major and a ball above your feet can be really difficult and obviously he's got the the bunker lip there as well because you'd ideally want to probably use that and draw it off the shape so he's got to kind of hold hold it and almost hit a fade off off that lie to do it to do it under that pressure it, it is incredible shot incredible so how much is that the the quality of Fitzpatrick's shot about sort of getting over the disappointment that he's even in the bunker obviously in hindsight and you think the perfect ideal world is you're going down the last, you're going to hit the fairway, you're going to knock it in the middle of the green and you're going to two-putt and take the trophy home. But real world, it doesn't happen like that. And after putting yourself in that bunker, and it is, it's a shot where you can't back out of it. You've got to take it on. You've got to take it on. And then to stand up and hit the shot he hit is just, it's incredible. Under under that pressure, what he'd be feeling at that time, hats off to him, man, what a shot. And the final shot is the, well, what do you call it? It's not a fade, it's a slice, but it's an intentional slice. Would you call it that? From Tiger. Yeah, definitely. It's absolutely insane, especially when you see the shot tracer on it. So basically he's, how far is he? About 140 yards? Yeah, he's got to be something like 140 to 160 yards. And he is... In a big, wide fairway bunker, he's got a gap between the trees where you can just about make out the pin. And he pulls off just a piece of magic. I should point out, he does take about 2 minutes 45 seconds over this shot. So the group behind, just teapots. Absolute (laughs) teapots. Hands on hips. Thinking, God, he's always like this. They've got to have a marshal out. They've got to send marshals out to stop this. <laughs> so can you tell me about the me- the mechanics of the shot and how difficult it is to judge this? There's so much that can go wrong with it. Um, yeah. And to hit that hard across it and to generate that much side spin. And you see when it hits the green, for me, the crazy bit is when it hits the green and it just goes sideways. Like to generate that much spin that... The speed and like the angle you need to hit it at for it to do that is is bonkers, but that's why it's Tiger Woods but, and he's been lucky his whole career, hasn't he? So when he plays the shot, it looks like he's played a forward defensive in cricket because his arms are so high. It's what is that like a chicken wing? What is that? That is just him holding the face because if he if he basically 
he's swinging obviously really hard left and he needs to generate the spin. So he needs to keep the face right, open effectively. Now, if he lets his hands go, it's going to go miles left. But that's like the sheer like control and the strength. He has to swing it that hard and hold the club face like that. It's, it's, it's a Tiger Woods moment, isn't it? I mean, you've seen so many over the years what he does. And to be honest, he's I just consider him an absolute freak. Nature, it's insane. So it's up to you which you think is the best of those shots. Rory on the 18th, Matt Fitzpatrick on the 18th from the fairway bunker or Tiger from uh, the fairway bunker, I think, on the... On the, on the 17th, is it? But anyway, which is the best shot? I think, Matt, under that circumstance to hit that shot, I just think it's it's incredible. Also, I mean, one slightly less humble pro who got in touch was Luke Donald, the actual Luke Donald, who says, humble brag, but I once hit this bunker shot at Hilton Head that I still don't know to this day how I did it. Mick Doran's mouth was open for about 30 minutes. I think Luke's misunderstood what a humble brag is um, because that's just a brag. <laughs> I love that it's he doesn't describe the shot. He just says, I hit this amazing shot once. <laughs> it's a good try to, yeah, to not, to say I'm not bragging, but I am. It's good effort, mate, but um, it's not going to slip past us, is it? <laughs> okay, so Luke Donald making his claim there for uh, being one of the great bunkerists, but who's considered on the tour to be the best out of the bunkers? One of the best I've seen would be Brett Rumford. I remember one of my first years out on the European tour and watching him in a bunker, and he was hitting one probably about 25 yards, and he was hitting one low that would run out, one normal that would sort of spin a little bit, and probably dribble forward a foot and then one really high that would just stop um and he was just going through and playing them three different shots and it was just on repeat and I was like wow that is insane so he's definitely up there I'd say obviously some of the shots you see Mickelson hit the bunker he hit in the PGA the one he hold he's definitely up there for sure as well Mickelson um yeah Donald Rumford Mickelson can't knock Tiger. Tiger's just incredible at everything. There's a few, man. And who's the worst? <laughs> I could have got that award, I'm telling you, a few years ago. Really? I, I was I was in a bad, bad place with him where I, honestly I'd go in the bunker and I think, shit. And you've got a big crowd around and it, it did, it really, it really got into me and I really had to work hard at my technique to get away from that. Well, it's time for us to knock the sand out of our wedges and our shoes uh, because the bunker chat is over and we're very excited because, beef, we've got all the bunting out here in the clubhouse. We've got a beautiful tray of sandwiches. And that's to welcome our first ever guest into Beef's Golf Club. Let's get him on here. So, John, we've got our first official guest joining us today and it is the legendary Tom Davis. Boom. Hello, guys. How are we doing? Welcome to Beef's Golf Club. You're the first person who's ever actually set foot in the building, apart from me, Beef, and the 200,000 builders, architects, <laughs> painters and decorators, <laughs> and uh, golf course sculptors. What, 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 what are your first impressions? It's, I'm honoured to be here. I'm honoured just to walk into these hallowed halls. And yeah, it feels like, yeah, the birth of any great thing. 
uh, and I'm just honoured to be that first person to. I mean, also maybe like you started with such a low bar of golfer that it's only going to get better from here. So, how long have you been playing, and what have you got a handicap? I've been playing about about eighteen months, but obviously a lot of that was lockdown when I started. I played off about twenty seven. Nice. Um, I got down to about sort of early twenty fives when I was playing a lot, but. I just, yeah, I just felt it. It's really hard, isn't it, if you're not playing all the time. I find, and also, uh, yeah, technical golf speak. Um, things like my my grit. I, I had lessons with a coach that was just teaching me like I was any, any normal person, but I'm obviously six foot seven. So actually sort of going to see someone who specialised a little bit more and, and pushing me to sort of like, you know, get my backswing to follow through and everything a little bit more boutique for a bigger man was has been a bit of a game changer. Yeah, definitely. I mean... If you're yeah six foot seven, you can't be having standard clubs either. At some point, yeah, I play with longer clubs. That was I've I played my first pro am a couple of weeks ago in Scotland. I had to play with normal clubs, and it was an absolute. It was a disaster. Did you just totally get the bug during lockdown? Had you ever played before? Because that's that's it. I had a similar thing where I was just yeah maybe playing once every couple of months every six months then didn't play for a couple of years and then suddenly something just clicked and I was like oh I just want to do this all the time I'd never no it was just literally during lockdown I did a show with Jamie and Harry Redknapp and we had a few people on and one of the people we got on the show was Rory McIlroy and we had him and John Terry on and and we sort of spent about two hours chatting about golf with Jamie who loves it Harry who loves it and and JT and um I was just like, wow, everyone who's talked about golf seems to be absolutely obsessed with it. And and it was it just felt like a sort of club that I wasn't in. And I thought, oh, actually, this could be quite a fun thing. So I get obsessed with things very quickly. And it's whether how quickly I can take to them. And I can, you know, and with golf, I found myself just getting like, yeah, I just loved it for the minute. And, and what I love is it's the only thing I've ever played where even if you're really shit, you can give someone a game. You can have a game with someone, even if you're absolutely awful. It's an insane thing to say, but, but I've come back to doing stand-up and I actually think it's, in life, it's given me a lot of things because I've got better at something. And there's a lot to be said about practice, 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 practice and seeing improvements day on day. Going, oh, actually, I can, my chipping's better or my driving's better. And actually, golf really stands for that. It's something if, the amount of people I speak to have gone, oh, I just go up so it was crap or shit. And actually sticking with something and going, oh, actually, no, I can see myself I can see through my handicap I've got better and then I've got worse and I've got better again and I think that's 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 what I love about golf and do you find it like some of the people you're talking about playing with there big personalities big sportsmen do you find it like intimidating playing with people who've got like a natural swing who have sort of down to like single figures or are they like really just sort of they're, they're not sort of taking the piss out of you when you're learning the game and stuff I think anyone who loves golf truly loves it will see that you're trying I think the fact that, that you've got to leave your ego at the door I'll be terrible at this I'm going to be awful and you've got to let yourself be bad I think anyone in the in the time playing I've played with about a handful of people who've made you made you feel like that made you feel but I think for the most part people are proud that you're you're giving their game a try. I didn't ever turn up and think, oh, I'm going to be Rory McIlroy or I'm going to be Tiger Woods. I, I turned up knowing I'd be pretty awful and hopefully I'd improve as time went on. And I think most people allow you to do that. That's what it's about. It's just about getting everyone included. That's that's why why it's so good. And that's, like you said, the handicap system and being able to play against your mates no matter what level they are and have a good time. And as long as people are getting into it and trying that's that's all I care about you just want as many people having fun and playing and it's so nice to go out with your mates and have a good laugh and stuff and like 
whether people are professionals or they've just started, golf makes everyone look stupid. <laughs> it makes everyone look stupid. Like the amount of like, bad true. shots I've seen from from some of the best players, myself. I mean, yeah, it's frightening. You look at someone one day and sometimes I pick the club up and I think, oh my God, like this feels so out of sync today. So yeah, you get in that level and you know what it's about. Everyone can have bad days, good days, but it's just good, man. And that's with golf, playing with a handicap system where you can compete against your mates is, is one of the best things ever. What would you say is a strong part of your game, Tom? At the moment, like my sh- short game, Probably that sort of, yeah, chipping, putting sort of, I've, I've invested in a, a better putter, got a little Scotty Cameron number on the, on, I was be, I was putting with a tiny putter as well. I realised how bad it was for my back. It was like, literally, I think it was a 33 inch putter <laughs> and it was just, uh, so I've got a bit of a longer putter now and it, that's made a difference. But it's, it's, it's the, I was saying to my power played with, he was getting really, really annoyed when we played on Sunday. And he was like, he gets annoyed with not being good at it. And I'm like, but what right have we got? If you put it into like reference of like, I'm sort of given two shots a hole at the moment, you know, in roughly one or two shots a hole, you know. And, you know, the best players in the world are sort of one below that. So you think, why should I at any point think of par in a hole? Why should that even be in my mind? It's like, I'm, you know, it's like for a stand-up comedian to go, oh, I'm going to do one open mic gig and then I'm going to go and play the O2. It's like, it doesn't work like that. You've got to graft and graft and graft at things. And and that's what, yeah. My biggest problem and thing that I've actually, that's really changed my game as well is like, if I was getting into, if I was getting into the wood, like, you know, trees or whatever, I'd start, like, I watch a lot of, I've seen you beef, uh, watching um, the, uh, on Sky Sports, the, the sort of drills and the schools. And I'll be watching like you guys and you, like, you get in the trees and you're like, right, I'm going to thrash this out of the trees. I'm going to, I'm going to aim for the green. I'm going to go, like, I'm going to go pin hunting from the trees. <laughs> And what the big thing for me was realizing actually that no, just chip it out onto the fairway, cost that shot, and then just almost start again. And just with a, you know, but I spent a long time probably giving away 10 shots around where, or you know, easily 10, 12 shots around where I'm just trying to to aim for hitting another tree, then another tree, and then getting in worse rough and then trying to get out. And it was that, that's just ended up just killing my game. Yeah, you start learning course management. And we do all the time. Like there's so many tournaments every year I play where I'm looking at a ball in the rough and I'm looking at the green and I'm going, I'll get a three iron on that. <laughs> and I'm like, I said to my caddy and I talk him into it. I talk myself into it. And then I go and like hit it straight in the water and I stand there. I'm like, why are you so stupid? <laughs> like you've done it again to yourself. Just knock it back out. And like it is, it's that, it's learning that acceptance of what you can and can't do and having to yeah. accept your punishment for hitting a bad shot or hitting it in the trees and taking it on the chin. I think that's one of the biggest learning curves, but that runs, that will never stop. Well, I find having a caddy the most confusing thing of all. Like I've played three times with a caddy and all those three times, right? They play with clearly better people than I can. So you'll be in the rough quite big. And they're like, why don't you hit this with a seven iron? You're like, no, nah, I need a wedge on this. And they're like, hit this with a seven iron, you'll be fine. And you hit it like about three foot in front of you. And they're like, oh, right, yeah, yeah, okay, that's why. And you're like, well, if I'd hit the pitching wedge, I might have, done, at least it would have been out of this crap. I find that that's a weird thing of, would it sit, like, it's lovely having someone carrying your bag. But it's like you need to almost spend a bit of time with them seeing how absolutely terrible you are at the game before they, they go, oh, I'm not playing with someone who, who, who can hit this. 
how have you played with caddies already? I've I've been doing a YouTube channel on golf for five years. We're writing a <laughs> column for today's golf for two years. I talk about golf all the time. I've never been invited to anything. I've never had a caddy in my life. Oh, mate, you, 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 you're hitting up the wrong place. Mate, I, I think they get, get me along for a laugh. What did you make of like your first experiences of golf clubs in general? And what would you like to see at Beef's Golf Club? I, I think if I'm honest with you, the first time I went to a golf club to hit some balls, I got told that the uh, driving range was closed, but I could hear people on it. I, I turned up in you know, uh, a tracksuit uh, with my golf clubs to hit some balls and quite a posh golf club near me. And I could hear, you could see the driving range wasn't closed. But the guy oh, was very, and he said, no, no, the, the driver. And if I'm going to be really honest, I think that that's actually, there's a lot of that within golf still. And that's, I think, something that needs eradicating. I also think that golf is probably one of the most accepting sports. Once you get chatting to people and there, yeah, I, th- I find now I'm a member of a club and I quite enjoy getting down there and I enjoy the different people of different generations. I find it incredible. It's an amazing thing to sit and watch men who've had hip replacements or women in their 70s hitting a ball. And you realise actually, you know, just how people will do anything just to go out and play. I find that just heartwarming. I feel like, like even, you know, even if they're not going to necessarily smash it, but they're still going around with a decent score. That's what I find really interesting. One of the guys played at a golf course in Middlesex who helped like the county back in the day. Yeah, he was nearly 70. And there was times, I think, where he either broke his age Wow. Or come close to it and like, yeah, shooting under age and stuff. And you see guys now, yeah, 70s, still shooting in their 60s and stuff. And it's incredible, to be honest. Yeah, man. How often do you play uh, beef now? Do you still get out? Are you still injured? Or I've just started again, only a bit of chipping and a few sort of shots at about 60, 70% with a wedge. But um, it's been like eight months, man. So yeah, it's been really nice just to get out. How have you found it? Have you found it like... The thought for eight months not hitting a ball, like, have you felt that it's been like, is it just like picking, like, oh yeah, this is how I do it and it's fine? Or is it like, oh shit, I've got a long way to go to get back to that? The first day I dropped a few balls down and I picked up my wedge and I looked at it and I was like, oh my God. I was like, (laughs) I was like, this is odd. And then once I hit sort of like five, 10 chips, I was like, you get back into the rhythm and then got on the range and I started hitting a few wedges and I was like, my brain went into overdrive and I was like, I think I'm ready for a tournament. And I was like, <laughs> I want to start hitting the driver. And it was so hard to to sort of like hold back and not pull out a driver and start trying to hammer it again and hit yeah, full yeah, shots. Yeah. That, that's that been the worst bit about the last few days is just really having to hold off and call it quits after 20, 30 balls yeah, and sort yeah, of manage yeah. that. That's been the hardest bit by far. Because that's a killer, right? I, I sometimes go to the range and get like, well, I can say ball happy, but that might sound a bit strange. But um, I, I'll start, I'll literally get 50 balls. And I'm like, oh, wow, I'm fucking hitting better than I've ever hit. Then I'll get another 50. And then I'll start hitting like an absolute twat. And I'll go, oh, wait there, hold up. Like, what's going on? I'll just go and get, before you know of it, like 200 balls. And I've been through every emotion. And I'm hitting worse than I was. And like, you realise that you've got a level of like 50 balls is fine. And then after that, you're like, well, actually, no, hold up. Like, any more than that, you, it starts becoming like, it deteriorates your game. Yeah, I reckon that they should ban 100-ball baskets. The <laughs> most damaging thing you can do to an amateur is hit 100 balls. And yes. also, you think about it, you're playing a whole round of golf in the space of, what, 45 minutes? 
no, no, and not not just a full round round job. You li- and half of those are probably with your like woods and your driver. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Because yeah, you're yeah. just trying to absolutely spank it. Like driving wise, you what you use that fourteen times, thirteen times in a round, maybe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And all of a sudden, you're trying to hit fifty balls with your driver. <laughs> so, Tom, we're coming up with a list of commandments for Beef's Golf Club. Uh, so far, uh, we've got. The dress policy is have a look in the mirror, mate. Wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. So anything goes as long as you can stand in front of the mirror and go, yeah, I'm happy with that. The clothes are all right. It's just what, what's underneath them sometimes <laughs> breaks my heart. <laughs> We've also got uh, red and yellow cards for people discussing their rounds afterwards. So you're allowed to hold up a yellow card if someone's talking a bit too long about their round. And then you can hold a straight red uh, to actually just say, right, I've heard enough about the shots you hit today. But then what are people going to talk about in the in the clubhouse after? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. Can you see how smug he is here? Because we went through this and I said, I said the first thing I was like, you can't have people turn up and say, oh, Tom, how was it out there today? And you went, well, I got on the first tee. I didn't fancy driver, so I hit three wood. And then I got it. It was down on the fairway and I was looking and I didn't know whether to hit a six iron or a seven iron. I'm like, mate, we're going to be here all day. How did you play? Do you know what I mean? You can cut into like the good bits and say, I don't know, I hit a tree, come back over my head or something. I chipped in on this hole. I hit this amazing shot. But you can't have shot to shot 18 holes. That's that's where the yellow card comes in. You go, no, 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 cut it out. Come on. Tell me the funny bits or the good bits. I know. I get that. I get that. I get I like that. I like that though. Yeah. I know. And I now I get you. Cause yeah, you don't want, you don't want like a full autopsy of every shot there. You just want shocking or great. So so I've, what, I've got to be honest, John, actually, since I think the, I just, weirdly I had other ideas, but just what you said there, I actually think uh, there should be a ban on anything over 50 balls for an amateur. I think that like, I think that's a really good rule. I, I genuinely think rule wise that would save so much heartache. Because yeah. essentially, it's like know where your limits are. That's that's golf in in everything, right? Well, so you I could be allowed really... to buy them in multiple. So you could buy. You'd have to go back and get another fifty, and then maybe that would make you think a little bit about what you're doing. But something yeah, but you... then I'd say the driving range has got to be at least twenty minute walk to the club. Because <laughs> by the time you get there, you go. Actually, I'm just going to have a pint. <laughs> I've literally ruined weekends. I've ruined evenings with my wife where I've hit over fifty balls. And I've come back and I've just been like, number one, I'm absolutely fucked because I've essentially played 36 holes of, with a driver. Yeah. And number two, <laughs> might I've just deteriorated from, if I'd, I'm 50, I'd have been coming back, I'd have been buying champagne. I'd have been living like, yeah, tell you what, takeaway tonight, best best restaurant in town. You know what I mean? We're not going out, we're staying in both, <laughs> right? Anything after 50, I'm coming in, I'm crying. I'm like, I'll just get us McDonald's because I'm a useless piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> so there's the rule so if someone comes in on the range and you can see them and they're going to start hitting over 50 golf balls big td is going to come out put his arm around him and say look you've had enough mate yeah let's go get a pint yeah after 50 balls me or someone who looks a little bit like me just comes walking over (laughs) and just goes that's 50 mate come on let's to the bar with you can't you see they're getting yeah that you end on a high end on a high and that's golf well, Tom, thank you so much for joining us. The first ever person to set foot in Beef's Golf Club wow. and a very welcome member. And actually, I'm considering having a tracksuit day on the range in your honour. <laughs> Cheers, chaps. Cheers, mate. 
So, Beef, our first ever guest here at Beef Golf Club. How'd you find that? Yeah, Tom was amazing. You can feel the passion he has for playing, and he's completely hooked on golf, which is great. And I think he's come up with an amazing rule. I really do. Yeah. And so nice to see someone who's, you know, he's off a relatively high handicap, 26 or 27, who's saying. But to have someone who's playing off that level, loving it, and wanting to improve and getting the bug and not feeling sort of frustrated and negative about it is it's just brilliant. It's really nice, yeah. And you come off and I feel I feel inspired to go out and hit golf balls. He's got that energy. Yeah. About it. It's really nice. If you'd like another podcast to listen to before Beef and I return next week, might we suggest the Joe Marler show with England rugby player Joe Marler? This podcast is nothing to do with rugby. It's a show about ordinary people asking them about the jobs they do. He's met architects, paramedics, gangsters, sausage makers, opticians, and many, many more. It's always a fantastic listen. So go search for the Joe Marler show wherever you get your podcasts. Right then, Beef, my dear, what's on the agenda for next week? Mate, we are going to be talking about caddies. Ooh. Ooh, it's a big one. We've got an absolute cracker of a guest on. Well, that's very exciting because I have never experienced a caddy. I don't, I've never even seen a caddy live. We're talking the creme de la creme of caddying. Are we talking the creme de la creme? Yeah, we're talking game changer, a caddy who's been with some of the most iconic players in the history of golf. Is there any chance he'll swear quite a lot very early on in the conversation before saying hello? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm excited. I think I know, I might know who this is. Uh, So look forward to that next week. Definitely. See you next week, guys. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.